0: people are coming and going at a, this particular season of, of church life and it, we know it continues right through the year but particularly at this time of the year and uh, God's been good to us and uh, as you know uh, here at uh, Mansfield we've had two or three guest speakers as well, John Butcher, Luke Grattan and people have brought God's word and it's my joy tonight to be able to just open the Bible for a few moments and uh, just sort of sense that God is where we was, oh, I just want to say something in the worship time. I was listening to Russell Evans this week. And if you ever to listen to Russell, he's a, he's a good communicator. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's interesting to watch his mannerisms and things. But it was a great word. He was just talking about sort of launching out on in God. I'm not talking about being silly or flaky, but I'm talking sometimes about declaring something that we'll try and overanalyze and therefore not say it and God wants it to be declared and an expression of God's purpose in people's lives, and I just sort of felt in the worship tonight, and I've analysed it and thought there's nobody in the room that this applies to, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I don't want to be cleverer than God, that uh, I just sensed tonight as we were worshipping, God's talking to somebody in this room, uh, in terms of their calling, and your calling in terms of God, what God wants to do in your life, involves languages, and the reason I say that is because I'm thinking, well who's the linguist in the room tonight, and well it's certainly not me, and uh, and uh, and uh, it may be that it's Marnie that interprets for a mum at times, you know, in terms of us understanding Margaret's uh, Glaswegian accent. But, but I wasn't thinking about that either. You know, I was, I, was, I was just trying to overanalyze this thing. So I just declare it. I'm not going to overanalyze it. I just sensed tonight that God was encouraging somebody in this room to say that the sense of what you're going to be doing in God going forward involves languages. I see somebody sort of, sort of acting in that sense of interpreting, standing in the middle, being a go-between. And if that applies to anybody tonight, well, you'd just be encouraged to continue your, your journey with God. I want to, uh, just for us for a few moments tonight, just uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first chapter, which is a relatively uh, brief reading. And then I'm going to share some thoughts from this particular passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter One. Sometimes when people are ministering, sometimes when I minister, i am more or less go straight into it. Or I might just read a phrase, I might just read a verse. But I think it will help us tonight if we just read the whole of the chapter. And if you want to keep your Bible open, if you've got one, however your Bible comes electronically or however it comes, then it will help you just follow. So Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved of God, that he has chosen you because because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn from your idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, who is raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And God will bless His word to our hearts. I want to answer this. I want to try and ask this, ask and answer this question over the next um, few few moments as we've got the, the ministry in that. And I'm going to draw from the whole of that chapter in terms of trying to bring an answer. But here's the question: known. For what? Known for what? We've got a brilliant picture here of a first century Christian community that had a reputation. It was known for something. as we're just waiting on God this week for the message for tonight, seeking to inspire us in this series of messages, I'm just encouraging us as a community of believers here, wanting to grow, wanting to be all that God's got for us, that we need to be known for something. Known for what? Now, definition of a reputation, a general estima- estima- estimation of a person or persons, e.g. A pub, e.g. could be a church, could be a club, could be a group, but an estimation that other people held by the public, known for what? Or it could mean that it's the state of being held in high esteem, or it could mean A specific characteristic or trait. In other words, somebody has a reputation for being kind. Somebody has a reputation for being horrible. Somebody has a reputation for being good. Somebody has a reputation for being nasty. Churches that have a reputation for all the good things in life. Churches that have a reputation for all the bad things in life. In other words, friends, people have an opinion, an estimation of what we are known for you probably heard sometimes that he's got a bit of a reputation we meet in the kevin bird conference suite i think i've mentioned it before but you may be saying well who is kevin bird good question well kevin bird surprisingly played for mansfield town And he was known, he had a reputation for being an an uncompromising centre-half. And in the 70s, that meant that he could kick the centre-forward all day long. And he wouldn't receive a yellow card because they didn't sort of give them out like they do nowadays. An uncompromising centre-half. But he built a great reputation. He became well-liked by the fans to the extent that when they built this building, they thought, what shall we call it? We'll call it after one of our favourite players. We'll call it the Kevin Bird Suites and so known for something and here I I believe friends that increasingly God wants churches to be known for all that is good in the expression of his kingdom and of his purpose I understand that there's a, a, a translation in the bible in Philippians 2 an older translation that says Jesus made himself of no reputation. One translation says he became nothing. I understand that. I'm not talking tonight about us trying to get a reputation carnally. But what I am saying, friends, is that the more that we die to a reputation, the more likely we are to have a really, really good one because Jesus will continually get all the praise and all the glory. Here's the blessings of a great reputation. Proverbs 22, one says, a good name or a reputation is more desirable than great riches. And to be esteemed is better than silver or gold. I'll come to an example in a moment or two, but I was talking to somebody last night, just what you would call an ordinary sort of bloke. I won't mention his name, but an ordinary sort of bloke that to, whose trade in life has been to work with wood as a joiner and carpenter, whatever you want to call him, but that's his trade. Work for himself. I'm talking to him last night, and he uh, says, uh, I says, Are you uh, you retired now? I says, well, sort of semi-retired, you know, because we like to do things in the summer, but I don't mind working in the winter. He's into his 60s, he's well positioned like that. He says, this guy's asked me to do a really big job in the winter. And this is the truth. He says, you know, I've been ripped off by so many people in the past, but he says to this particular person, He says, Alan, see I've mentioned his name, not his second name. He says, Alan, he says, you can either work in terms of a day rate or you can give me a price for the job because I know that you will never rip me off. That is a great reputation. That is a great reputation from a good Christian man of other people that look on and say, I know that this person would never rip me off. So you can name your price in terms of how you want to do the job. And so we come to this church. It's not a perfect church. It was a church that needed some correction, and we've not time to look at that tonight. It was a church that thought Jesus was coming at any moment, so much so that some of them stopped going to work. And that's why it says at the end of chapter 5 that we're to warn the idol. Come on, guys, get back to work. You know, you've got to do the everyday life stuff. You know, you can't sit around waiting for Jesus to come. Some churches have got a reputation for that. Never do anything, just waiting for Jesus to come. But we've got to do things in the meantime. And uh, they'd have been sat around for a long time because, as you know, he's still not come. And it's not our job to be second-guessing when he is going to come. We do believe he's going to come one day, but our job is not to second-guess it. Saw that chap the other f- few weeks ago in, in America. You know, there's always somebody every few years and put a big thing in the paper and preached and said, you know, Jesus is coming. And I don't know where he is now, but um, he's probably gone down a plug hole somewhere because he just made himself look stupid. But here's a church that wasn't perfect, but had a great reputation. It says in the beginning of the chapter, as Paul brings a greeting, he goes to verse 2. I want to come back to verse 2, because verse 2 is the fruit of a great reputation. But he says that the gospel came to these people. In verses 4 and 5, the gospel came to them. It didn't come simply with words, but it also came with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And that's how the gospel needs to come. Forgive me for a moment if I get a little frustrated when somebody comes to church for the first time and says, have you enjoyed it? And I'm sort of thinking, actually, I hope they've not enjoyed it too much because there needs to be a conviction about what takes place in the meeting. And... Hear me when I say that, if people say, yeah, I really enjoyed it, thanks, it's great to see you. But the reality is, friends, that for those of us that have become Christians, when conviction comes to our life, when something stirs in our heart that says, makes us aware that we need Jesus, it actually is an uncomfortable feeling. It's a recognition that we can't find this forgiveness in our own strength. It may be that you thought you were the most wonderful person in the earth, and all of a sudden you were confronted with the fact that you needed a saviour. And we all have to humbly come to the place of the cross and say, Jesus, we are totally dependent upon you. The gospel came to them not simply with words, not simply with head knowledge, not just simply with academia, but it came with power, with the Holy Spirit, and it convicted them deep within, so it drew a response from them. Paul says that we lived among you as an example. And then there's five things that took place out of this receiving. Of the gospel, number one, very briefly, and then I'll come to verse two to close off. Number one, they became imitators of the Lord. Verse six, they became imitators of the Lord because you became imitators of us and the Lord. Andy talked earlier about when we took breaking of bread tonight, it was also a commitment to become more and more like Jesus. That word imitate literally means mimic or ape. We we mimic the lifestyle of Jesus, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you noticed how young sportsmen can get very influenced by what they see on the TV. So somebody comes up with a new goal celebration, you know, and it's sort of you know and and then you go if you go onto to the park the following Saturday, somebody saw a goal, but they're all doing it. You see, they all were copying Peter Crouch a few years ago when he did his robot man. In other words, they mimic they ape what they see and the reality is that to be a disciple of Jesus is learning more and more about how Jesus lived and asking that by the power of the Holy Spirit we would live in that same way he says that they mimic the Lord despite the severe suffering or persecution that they were enjoying we know little of severe persecution within our culture context and culture It may be that we feel persecuted at times because people misunderstand us. It may be that people ignore us. It may be people that reject the message. But the reality is that there are contexts of the world today where persecution means that people can't meet in the safety of a public room because they're Christians, because it would be invaded by the secret police. And there are persecuted contexts all across the globe. But just as then and as now, these people continued on their journey of being more and more like the Lord. Secondly, they welcomed the message with joy, verse 6. They welcomed the message with joy. Have you ever spoke to a Christian? He says, You're a Christian then? Yeah. Ooh. 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 Well, it doesn't seem to be doing a lot of good. Well, I've got real deep joy. I'm not sure what that is. But it seems to be coming so deep that nobody can find it. and really miserable being a Christian. But they receive the message with joy. The Bible says that the joy that God gives us is unspeakable and full of glory. The Bible says that the joy that God gives us is joy that causes him to be our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength the bible says that the joy that he gives is a joy that we need to continue in again and again and again rejoice in the lord always and again i say rejoice And i'm not talking about superficiality and i'm not talking about walking around with a great big grin on your face all the time but the reality is friends there's a joy that expresses itself in how we live it brings a vibrancy it brings an expression of what god is doing amongst us that doesn't push people away but draws people to So people say, if that's a Christian, I want to be like that person. I want something of that joy. We know that joy takes us through bad experiences. We know that it's defined not just by happenings. They welcome the message with joy. And then the third thing is that they became a model to all the believers in the area. He says there that you became a model in verse 7 to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. In other words, friends, it's a phrase that we've used in Arena Church They became a flagship church. And in an armada, when a group of ships would go to war, the flagship church would be the one that literally would carry the flags, would send the messages. It would be the go-to ship that would impact and direct the rest of the fleet. And I believe, friends, that around the country, in all sorts of unlikely places, not just some of our great cities, God is establishing flagship churches. There's principles in flagship churches Flagship churches have great leadership. Flagship churches have a current vision. Flagship churches allow the Holy Spirit to work. Flagship churches work in teams. Flagship churches preach the word of God. Flagship churches seek to reach community. Flagship churches sort of have a sense of pressing forward in God. Why does God raise those churches up so that they can impact the fleet? Listening to Russell Evans this week, he said that when he first planted a church in Melbourne, there were lots of Christians in Melbourne that weren't happy. Isn't that interesting? When God wants to do something fresh, sometimes people aren't always happy. I've been to Melbourne. It's an amazing city. It's got lots of churches in it. And then Russell went in. He was known as a youth worker, a youth leader. used to do youth conferences. About seven, eight years ago, went to plant a church. Why did he go and plant a church? Because he felt God told him to go and plant a church. You can't really argue with that, can you? And today, there's 6,000 people in that church. It's one of the most contemporary, current, fastest growing churches in the whole of the southern hemisphere. And he said, interestingly, we've had 11,000 decisions during that time. And there are lots of churches in Melbourne that are growing because people first came to us. In other words, they became a flagship church that helped the fleets. And the city's getting it now. And now everybody likes it because the church is growing. They became a model to all other believers. Number four, the, the Lord's message rang out and their faith in God became known everywhere. Wouldn't it be fantastic, friends, to increasingly belong to a church that gains a, a reputation of influence that blesses other people? If I say church, and I say church in Sydney, you say back to me, Hillsong. We live 12,000 miles away. But some of you have sort of so been blessed by their music. You think you've been there. If I, and if I say to you what they are, are they specifically known for? They're known for great leadership. They're known for great preaching. But they're known for great worship. They release and have done for 20-odd years... Great worship albums that impact the world. Do you know something? All of that worship started in a broom cupboard with a few little pieces of kit, but with an incredible vision to see God. Work. When Darlene Sheck composed the song Shout to the Lord, Brian Houston prophesied over her that this song, Darlene, will be sung around the world. It has been sung by millions and millions of people around the world. It's been sung at weddings, it's been sung at funerals, it's been sung at special occasions, it's been sung in worship services, it's been sung on Sunday. All starting from an ordinary lady had a passion to impact the world. So often we say, Ooh, you know, we need to calm down and put the lid on it. and Don't get too carried away with yourself. You saw Christian getting carried away with himself, didn't you? In that email that came out on Friday. He's seeing something. Yeah. Seeing something that can have an impact upon other people. Willow Creek Church, Chicago. It's an impact across the world. Salabat, California. An impact across the world. Holy Trinity, Brompton, London. An impact across the world. Abundant Life Bradford, an impact across the world. And friends, it's not just a current thing. Metropolitan Tabernacle London, Baptist Church of the late Victorian era, impact across the world. Azusa Street, Little Pentecostal Church, 1904, impact across the world. Uh, Westminster Chapel, Great Preaching Centre, impact across the world. And so it happens. The reality is, friends, that God can so work in our lives that our influence can go way beyond the limits that we would put upon it. And fifthly, friends, this church turned from their idols. He says that they turned from their idols to serve the true and living God. And to wait for uh, the son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 21 that little children are to turn from their idols. You may say, Phil, have you just so lost leave of your senses tonight? Because we're in, we're in Britain. Hello? We're in Mansfield. We're in an English situation. We're in a culture that doesn't worship idols. Really? Really? You see, friends, an idol is not just something we define it by, sort of made of wood or stone or where we'd worship the moon or the sun. It's it's far more than that. The Bible defines an idol as anything that comes between my relationship with God and his first place in my life. And there could be people around this room tonight that would give testimony of the times when God has spoken to their lives. They're Christians, they love Jesus, they pitch up at church, they engage in service, they love God with a passion, and then all of a sudden they came to church one day and God ambushed them. You ever been one of those people? You're enjoying the service, the preaching's going great, and then all of a sudden God goes, boom, that's an idol. Oh, yeah. And you get up Monday morning hoping that God's forgotten about what he said on Sunday. But he hasn't. And he brings us to a journey, friends, where he's asking us to deal with issues in our life, to draw us closer to him, that we'll continually confess to God that he is first place in our lives. And as we do that, then God continually takes us forward, friends, in his purposes and in his plans. So here's a tremendous church. Not a perfect church, but a tremendous church. Imitators of the Lord. Receiving the message with joy. Becoming a model to all the believers. The message that they shared spreading out throughout the known world. And turning away from idols. And what was the fruit of all of that? Well, the fruit of it all was going back to verse 2. Because the question that I began with this this evening was, known for what? And there's three things. That this particular church were known for, and I'll finish in the next few minutes, but i just bullet point to them. Number one, they were known for a church whose works were produced by faith. We continually remember you before our God and Father, your work produced by faith. Now there's a lot of people out there tonight that we've engaged in with conversations at times both personally and in church. That if they could work their way to heaven, they'd do it another way to God. In other words, they're trying to be cleverer than God. Well, if I could give God a million pounds, then that would go to heaven. Actually, I'm not sure people would do that. Did you see that couple that won 161 million pounds the other week on the Euro lottery? You'd think that if you're buying a ticket for a lottery, I'm not going to get into that tonight. so far as I've never bought one. But if you're going to get into buying, you ought to consider the implications of winning. So I watched the interview with this couple that won 161 million pounds and it revealed a value to me that was, frankly, pathetic. Because all they could say was, well, I think we're going to buy two new cars. The fact of the matter is, friends, that you could have spent £50,000 on a car, £100,000 on two new cars. That would mean that you'd still got £160,900,000. And the fact is that with interest, it would have gone beyond 161000000 with your two new cars. I wonder if somebody could win the lottery sometimes and say, I'm going to give 10 million to the local hospital so they can refurbish it. I'm going to give 20 million to the local school so they can, you know. But no, we're going to change the car because it reveals the value. It reveals the value. And the fact of the matter is, friends, that lots of people, if they had lots of money, probably wouldn't give it as their ticket to heaven, but you can't do it anyway. Because God has said, I'm going to strip all that away because it's not by works lest anyone should boast it's by faith our relationship with God is by faith I was talking in another context this morning about Abraham and what links us to being sons of Abraham is that he and us were justified by faith in God he looked to the cross we look back to it but the reality is friends we came to the same God through the same faith and if you're a you are here tonight trying to get yourself to a place of knowing Jesus in your own efforts it is utterly futile God says that by grace are you saved through faith and even the faith that you have to believe in him is not of yourselves it's a gift of God God gives in everyone an ability to believe in God and Jesus and I encourage you to make that step tonight but here's the truth I've had people say, Well, that's it, you see, you Christians. You sort of just jolly up on a Sunday and you sing a few songs and you're not bothered about anybody else and you're just bothered about your faith. No, 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 no. No. You see, because they were known, and God wants His church to be known today, for your works or your actions produced by faith. Friends, our actions and our works don't get us to God, but they flow from our relationship with God. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 that we're to let our light shine before men that they may see your good deeds, works, actions, and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, friends, as we've done food banking, Ilkeston particularly, it's going to be a passion that will roll out in Arena Mansfield going into the autumn. Nearly a year now, that verse has literally come into, into being because we've had lots of people that aren't yet believers in Ilkeston give glory to God because of food bank. They've literally give praise to God. They've literally said, it's amazing what your God is doing in this community. They will see your good deeds and glorify your father that is in heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter two, that having said that it's by grace that we're saved through faith, at the end of that particular passage, it says that we are God's workmanship created unto God works. The Bible says in James chapter two and verse 21, Uh, verse 26 that faith without works is dead we don't get to God by works but here's the reality when we come to God he, he employs us he destines us to do things and the 21st century church friends of whatever size and in any community will be a church that not only expresses words but involves itself in works. It will be a church engaged in social action. It will be a church with a compassion for the lost. It will be a church that reaches the poor. It will be a church that sends money to missions because that is the heart of God. Works produced by faith. Secondly, they were known for labour prompted by love. What you are known for? Well, they were known for works produced by faith and labour prompted by love. And as Julie led us in the notices, she reminded us that next... Next week is a year to the the evening that we we said we're going to repurpose the church that had met faithfully for many, many years on that Balsall Street side. We're going to repurpose Arena Mansfield. We're going to start meeting at Field Mill a year next Sunday. And every Sunday there are guys that have lugged speakers. I don't even want to try lifting one of those speakers afterwards. And set wires off that I step on at times and no doubt they're telling me off because I'm going to break the wiring inside or whatever. And all this sort of stuff to, and and Neil and Chris, just in in, in a sense, quiet men, you know, love to be behind the scenes, but without them we'd be absolutely lost. Pitched up every week, sunshine, raining, pitched up every week, guys that look stuff about, musicians that have come to tune up and make all that stuff happen, people putting chairs out, people putting chairs away. Gail and Robert, amongst others, teas and coffees on a regular basis. All happening, Labour yeah. pro- prompted or produced by love. I want to say thank you, guys, and we'll make reference to it next week. Amazing, absolutely amazing. And they are the challenges of a portable church because this is church, even though some people have told us it isn't. Of course, it is when believers gather together. And you see, labour at times is inconvenient. Labour is hard. Labour is sacrificial. Labour, friends, is, is not always easy. I worked as a labourer once. In between my two years at Bible school, I'd run out of money. I thought I need some money share and worked for a building constructor's called Henry Boots. Some of you that have travelled to South Yorkshire will see the yellow and blue signs still. She got me a job. She didn't get me a job in an office pushing a pen. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? She got me a job as a labourer. I worked, I worked with a labouring gang at Stocksby Steelworks, Works where they were building a new extension. And away with these ideas that labourers just have copious cups of tea and don't do anything else. I tell you. I was younger then. You know, Oh, no gloves. No hard hat. No boots. Just get on with get on with it, lad. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the, ma- the site foreman says, we don't want my lad coming preaching. You know, because they knew where I was from. She says he won't. She says he won't do that. And uh, the reputation at the end of the night—ten, eleven weeks—was uh, no joke. No to myself, but in the context of the message, he's a good worker. Your guy, your guy. That'll do for me. You see, end of the first week, no gloves. Eighteen blisters on my hands. You know, and I remember leaning over the sink. Thing. I tell you, at the end of those weeks. <laughs> coat his shoulders whoa 12 hours a day 12 hours a day i used to get up go to work come home have a tea go to bed six days a week And some good money which went into my feast for Bible college for the second year you see laboring yeah. we've got guys around the church tonight that have been involved in manual labor for most of their life hard work and the Bible says that sometimes to make church work, there's a labour involved. What oils the labour? Woo, better go to a room in the church again tomorrow night. We've got to lift them speakers up again. I'm sick and tired of going to Field Mill. I don't know why we ever move from. Boo, boo, boo. No, what produces it? Francis, love, 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 love love God, love people, love this town, love what God's doing, love being together. And what oils these guys and these guys is they have a love. The oils, the labor that takes away, even though it is inconvenient at times, even though it is hard work, it somehow oils that and allows them to keep doing what God has called us to do. A labor prompted, a faith that worked in actions, a labor prompted by love. And finally, friends, let me just say this about labour. One Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, "Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain, never thrown away." If you're a Sunday school teacher, kids' church, you kick your shoes off on a Sunday night and say, oh, "I'm never doing that kids' church again." Those kids were murdered tonight. If you're a youth worker, you've gone home on a Friday night and said, I'm, I'm telling the past, I'm finishing. It was absolute mayhem. They were throwing things around. They wouldn't listen. It was a complete waste of time if you've ever tried to minister for jesus in a particular context preach. you've kicked your shoes off on a sunday night you're having your cheese on toast again i'm never going to preach again i thought i was preaching up a storm tonight and nobody seemed bothered but you know what god says he said that your labor in the Lord is never in vain it's never thrown away never 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 therefore be steadfast so works produced by faith labor produced by love and finally endurance inspired by hope and time's gone. But a few weeks ago, we had a service midweek in Arena Ilkeston that was led by a pastor called Stephen Hackney. And Stephen was uh, on, a, on a book tour, and he's written a book, Through My Eyes, which talks about the tragic loss of his wife. Uh, by the time he was 40, he'd lost his, his wife, and he's found a better day and confessed that on that particular night through, through a terrible journey of cancer. And Stephen talked about that, and it was a very moving evening. But the thing that impacted me, the thing that I was so proud about, Stephen, at the end, was that for the last fifteen minutes of the message, he spoke on the endurance of hope. In the friends, he'd come through that awful journey with hope intact. Hope is a confident expectation that God, friends, is going to work something out amazingly. Hope is eternal. Hope takes us to the, the other place. I want to close tonight by just giving you a story of the power of reputation. Bill Gaither, some of you may like Gaither music, some of you may loathe it. My youngest daughter, Alison's 23, and think, oh no, she wouldn't like Gaither music. I saw her today, she says, Dad, I had two or three of my friends around the other night We were just listening to Gaither songs. She says, we were crying, we were weeping. It was incredible. I says, how old were these people? She says, same age as me. I says, there's something weird about you lot. Because <laughs> Gaither's supposed to be the oldest like me, but great, if you, if you like gospel Close harmony singing, brilliant, you know. So Bill Gaither tells the story of uh, growing up in a little town in Indiana. And him and Gloria were school teachers, And they'd been married a couple of years and they're looking for a plot of land to buy. And uh, so uh, somebody put them in touch with a retired bank manager who had a fearsome reputation for not selling any of his lands. And uh, so Bill Gaither went to see him and said to the uh, bank manager, I- I've come to see you, I understand that you owe... Uh, quite a, a, an amount of land in the, in the town and, and I, I'd like to build sort of down the side side of the town we'd like to sort of consider buying a plot off you and building a family home and the immediate answer from the bank manager was no way I don't sell to anybody really nice guy you know reputation they began to get involved in conversation and Bill Gaither mentions his second name and so the bank manager says to him do you know Gromer Gaither not Homer Gaither, not Homer Simpson, but gromer Gaither. He says, gromer Gaither was my grandfather. And immediately the bank manager's face let up and said, I also own, owned a farm. And he says, when I owned the farm as well as running the bank, he says, your grandfather was the best worker I ever had on the farm. He always gave a good day's work for a good day's pay. Come back and see me in a week. So Bill Gaither, it's an absolutely true story, went back to see the bank... retired bank manager and landowner of the town uh, a week later and the man offered him a beautiful plot of land where he was able to build a family home where he still lives today for a third of the market value 30 years later Bill's walking around the paddock of the house talking to his son and he says to his son he says isn't it fantastic you've been able to grow up in the security of this lovely little home and it's on the strength of the reputation of a great grandfather that you never met amazing Friends, what are we known for? What are we known for? What do we want to be known for? Well, faith's demonstration is work. Love's devotion is labor. Hope's determination is endurance. Seems pretty good to me. Let's pray.